Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 712 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And we're also joined by Zoe Turner for one of our interviews this week because she'll be along when we have a chat with Matt Goss, formerly of Bross, as he's out on the road with his big band finding out about his UK tour. We'll be having a bit of a natter with the Jersey Boys ahead of their appearance at the Grand Theatre. Improv Walls are along to let us know about their show at the Arena. We find out about the book They Rocked, We Rolled. Also coming up, Associate Director of Nursing at Compton Care, Jenny Warren, lets us know what about her new position there. And we're finding out about 101.8 WCRFM's additional frequency, as they'll be heading on to DAB soon. Chris Allen letting us know all about that. That's on the way on the show this week. From the 7th through to the 18th of March, the Jersey Boys are at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre. It is going to be a venerable feast of fantastic music from the Four Seasons. I'm joined now by the four boys who are playing the parts. And I'll let them introduce themselves. Hello, gang. Hello. Hello. Right, go from left to right, please. <laughs> I'm Blair. I play Bob Guardian. I'm Ryan. I play Frankie Valley. I'm Dalton. I play Tommy DeVito. And I'm Chris, and I play Nick Massey. And how long have you been Jersey Boys in this show? Because uh, this is a big franchise. And we've seen it on tour, but people just keep coming back because it is an amazing show with awesome music. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so um, Chris and I have been with the show since uh, August last year. And uh, Blair and Dawson, you guys have been going a lot longer than us. Well, we, we started for, for this tour in October for our rehearsals 2021. Uh, but Blair previously did it. Oh yeah, I've done it on cruise ships before, so I've been doing this on and off for about five years. And I think <laughs> it's that experience, though, which is going to show on stage. I mean, you guys, uh, you know the songs better than you know the back of your hand now, surely. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd hope so. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll sing them a lot, yeah. We, ha- we have to, you know, the, the harmonies are so precise and so exact, and we, we have to be on it, definitely. It's difficult to forget them, to be honest. <laughs> but I mean, but this is a show which means so much to the audience. Not only do you get the journey of the uh, the, the boys themselves, but uh, you've got the uh, amazing music, and, and and that is obviously what drives it, isn't it? It is it is a show which tells a story, but it is all about the songs. Oh, definitely. I think I think we get a huge spectrum in our audience of people who grew up who were fans of the Four Seasons and remember all these songs coming out, right up until people who are discovering these songs for the first time through Jersey Boys. So. Um, and I think I think the the overwhelming thing we get told over and over again is people don't realise how many songs were originally written by Bob Gordio and Frankie in the Four Seasons. So, um, yeah, brilliant songs. We we will see your headshots and your pictures in the program. I, I just for a bit of fun, which is the show each of you've been in which is going to be the least help uh, to appearing as the Jersey Boys? I mean, Blair, you were Beauty in Beauty and the Beast. I'm I'm, I'm not sure whether you were Beauty or the Beast. Which one was it? <laughs> well, I'll let you decide. <laughs> I was the beast. I was in a massive um, costume for that. So that <laughs> definitely doesn't help with being a Jersey boy. But is it? Yeah, is it like wearing a red jacket when it takes over your your entire being? Yeah, it's not, you, you could say that absolutely. The costumes absolutely help make the man in this show. <laughs> yeah, they actually make a point of it. They made us rehearse in suit jackets and in proper shoes because I think it, it changes the com- completely the way you stand and puts you in that in that era in that fifties sixties time. In this one, though, I mean, Ryan, are you are you uh, taking on your Peter Pan character as well? Because the music never gets old. <laughs> Do you know what? It's such a pleasure to play. I've spent I've spent the majority of my career playing uh, schoolboys and been in school uniforms and Peter Pan or whatever. So it is a pleasure to to play Frankie, who starts at fourteen in our story, but goes right up until he's forty. Um, yeah, so that's that's a play grown man. That's, that's, a, that's a personal pleasure for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, Dalton, I mean, uh, you've, you've been in Greece. So again, this is it's probably got the, a similar sort of feel from the same sort of period for some of the tracks. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not too too far away. I mean, um, Frankie Valley song, uh, Greece is the word, didn't it? And that was one of, one of their songs. So I have a connection with mine. <laughs> I just kind of piece together. Christopher, looking at your list, what should I pick on here? Uh, it's, it's tricky just going from the uh, TV credits, uh, you know, Dancing on Ice. 
um, with, the, with the Prince of Egypt. Yeah. I mean, ex explain yeah, that one to me. I stood at the back for dancing. I wasn't actually doing any of the dancing. I wasn't nice, actually, at all. Um, I did... Um, something that helped me with this show probably is that it was a small show I did up in North London called Forever Clan, which is exactly the same sort of four boys, four palm uh, show. But, you know, the Prince of Egypt, I was wearing little to men clothes. I had a beard. And, uh, yeah, it didn't... It didn't didn't have me this <laughs> <laughs> You're promising to be fully dressed at all times as a Jersey boy. On stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I don't want to know what, what goes on backstage because there, I mean, there are still some reasonably quick changes in this, aren't there? Oh, very much. Uh, yeah. yeah. You've got probably the most, don't you? There's yeah. loads. Um, we can't tell you quite how they happen, but there's a lot of Velcro and elastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of hands on deck. And a lot of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well. <laughs> you, you you've got to have a favorite so i've kind of got to ask you let's go down the line and get favorite songs uh, i guess right now mine is probably opus 17 don't you worry about me uh mine is probably begging just because i think i just love the, the beat the groove and where it comes in the story mine's cry for me where's oh, uh, it such a lovely voice and uh it's the first time we all sing together and it's just lovely can i choose that as well <laughs> that, that's allowed it's when the first, um, it's the first time we sing it, everyone sings together, and it's and we've got some nice harmonies and it's great actually. Which is that one there? It's very, very talented. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, obviously, I've like been out on the, on the road as a band who had their differences. Uh, it, it must be really tricky getting annoyed with someone when you're mates with them. We're not mates. With them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is. I mean, it's. I mean, we start off as as a group of three, and you know, we are mates at the start. We sort of have a great good time and you know doing the sort of the middle section of the show and i mean it is i mean it is, we do go through the trials and tribulations of yeah, there's, fights, but, I mean, there's, a, few, there's a few parallels like this, the, the story talks about you know four, four young guys on the road going to different cities they've never been to before playing to sometimes amazing well we're very lucky in jersey boys yeah. jersey boys is really popular but yeah. but and the mafia and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a show that has actually got it all isn't it mm. yeah definitely and with the the tour, I mean, what's it like you know, taking this to different theatres when you know the, the, you you do get such a, a big audience reaction? I mean, this this is all about uh, for a lot of people growing up with the music, and yet you guys, uh, this all happened a, a lifetime ago for you. I mean, this is the third time Jersey Boys has gone out on tour in the UK. So with so many of the venues, we get a lot of first time viewers, but a lot of people returning and. Um, Partly because of the nostalgia of the music, but also because the show is such a success. It's so well written. Um, so, yeah, the audiences have been great in pretty much everything you've been to. Definitely be very lucky. You have been very lucky. And you've got uh, the New Jersey accents and the New Jersey language to cope with, too. Uh, it, it's what I'm sure your grandmothers wouldn't be that impressed with when they first heard some of the things you say. But uh, overall, though, it, it is about you know, being believable in these parts. And uh, again, this is something that so much effort's gone into just at the rehearsal stage alone. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the thing with this is people say, oh, did, you know, we sometimes get complaints about the swearing and things. But it's just this is just a true story. And we're we're just telling it as real as possible so there's no like hidden things like we it is just we did like they did swear obviously so we just mm -hmm. swear like they did fight so we fight there was you know violence so we have violence like it just all it's just a true story we tell it in its real form also also a good excuse to go back and watch uh because the these, these the four guys just came from New Jersey from like really humble beginnings to so go back and watch some of those like old gangster films like Goodfellas and like yeah. all that stuff that that I'm sure they drew on when they were writing Jersey Boys. Well, it's going to be uh, an amazing run from the 7th through to the 18th of March. 01902 is a box office number. Grandtheatre.co.uk to get your tickets. Uh, can, can we spring on you a, a quick four part harmony just to uh, to, to sell tickets? Uh, <laughs> I think the, the signal's going. <laughs> oh, well, we won't be that cruel. That's cool. But have a brilliant time. Break a leg. Make sure someone irons your jackets for you. And we look forward to seeing you on stage. Thanks so much. Cheers. Matt Goss is back out on tour and he arrives at the Symphony Hall in Birmingham on the 5th of April. Part of a massive show with an awesome backing track. This is going to be absolutely amazing. And he joins us now to tell us more about the gigs. Hello, sir. 
Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Good to be talking to you again. And uh, it must be great being able to take a show on the road, which is, is basically it's the size of your Vegas show, but in a different place every night. Yeah, we're bringing the 15-piece big band and the Royal Philharmonic Concert Orchestra. So it's a it's a heavy lift, you know, as a musician. It's, it's a little nerve-wracking, but I'm excited. The fact that I can, you know, hopefully bring something that will, in a way, even give Vegas a run for its money. This is going to be a special show. And I, I, I don't like to say it quite like this, but as, as, a, as a man who's got a number of years back catalogue of music, probably a, a few decades worth in there, you've got such an amazing array of songs to choose from to perform too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to play the hits, like to deconstruct a hit record, a pop record, and then build it back up and put it into a, a big band. And then the majesty of, uh, of uh, the Royal Philharmonic, it's a, it's a really exciting thing to do. Um, it's a lot of communication. Uh, I'm absolutely exhausted. I'm not going to lie, but it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be um, it's going to be a beautiful show. And what my dream would be is that I can do this, you know, year after year, so I can come back and the Magos experience is something that people go. I'm going to that show, is it's, you know, because it's going to be a great night out. It's really important to me to give people a lift during these times, even down to the ticket prices. I've made sure that they're very reasonable. Um, so it's very inclusive. I mean, so, I mean, it's probably the most affordable ticket out there, I think. And that's because of the times we're in right now. So I've always, I always want to pride myself on knowing where we are. And, um, I think the tour, the tour like this is needed more than ever. Is there any, um, songs that you're going to be playing? Cause I know, like you say, you're going to be putting in a different spin on, uh, the songs that you, you're doing um is it going to be things from like your new album as well as maybe some bros songs or some of the stuff you do in vegas um what can people expect yeah i'm certainly doing going to do the hits um i played those in vegas a long time i mean i think i'm really famous uh they'll be in the set um maybe a couple of others <clears throat> i've got a couple of my songs that i've done well with that will be in there um but it will it will just be very, very dynamic. When you have a, when you have a big band, you know we usually associate that big sound with like rock guitars. But you, you know we've obviously got guitars and stuff. But when you have that many horns and a big band, very, very powerful sound, and then you you wrap it around with a, with a philharmonic, it's a it's definitely an incredible experience. It's it's like a power that I've not experienced before. <clears throat> Especially some of the venues that you're playing in as well, like. Um... They're quite iconic for that type of, of music and that type of sound, aren't they? Yeah, I mean the Royal the Royal Albert Hall in you know is my is my London gig. Um it's uh I've had to move a few dates around just purely because um of an ongoing issue with my collarbone uh, here, um, which does actually affect your breathing and and movement. But it's uh it's all part of it really, you know. I've I've cancelled very, very few shows, and I was adamant that I wasn't going to cancel this one. Mm. Uh, but it's really. But I was, I was going to ask um, that because a few of the shows have been rescheduled, haven't they? They've been pushed back a bit. Is that due to the injury that you've got? Well, it's 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 a really weird thing because, like you know, it's being on stage for so many years it, that you do encounter certain issues, but um, they've not been cancelled; they've just been moved to the back. So I have more time to prepare. And yeah. Do, and. And just you know, otherwise, what will happen? Those front, those front shows would have had to been cancelled. And I said, like quite loudly, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and when it comes down to your sort of stage show and stage presence, obviously, you know how to to use the stage. That is absolutely a given. But I mean, do you enjoy a few costume changes along the way? Um, I used to. I used to kind of when I was younger think about getting changed on stage and stuff. I think now being a you know being a man and stuff, I think there's something good about letting your outfit slowly, you know, get beaten up and you know maybe the jacket can come off and you can under your under your button and just I think there's something about the unraveling of you on stage. Certainly in Vegas, I I didn't I wear my tux and layer by layer, you know, and and. <laughs> As the more you sweat, I think the better the show gets. My hope is that you know I'll be very sweaty at the end of it because I just put my heart and soul into it. But I, I'm not personally, I'm not into the costume change thing anymore because as a as a, one of the lads, 
I think it's just much more stronger to come on and that's who you are for the evening. And obviously you, you change for the after fight or the meet and greet. And um, but no, I'm not that it's it's all about the music, it's all about the standard music, the quality of performance is the, what, what I'm connected to. But I will I will be bringing my fabulous, that's for sure. So I've I've seen um things on, on the internet in regards to how many vans you might have to be able to move all this around for each of your showers. It's it's quite a huge trail, isn't it, to put from one place to the next? It is over there's well over fifty people involved in moving this from city to city. Um and that's not that's not including the people that aren't coming on the road. So logistically, um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> my, it's huge. Obviously, a few more months of rain, but yeah, it's you know you can never make everyone happy. But you know, all I know is that I'm a a committed artist, and I take and I really really care for my fans. Um, and I just you know you just have to put one foot in front of the other and get to the finishing line, and just it is a heavy lift for all of us, you know. But it's um, mm. hopefully it'll be worth it when people come and see this really, really beautiful show that I'm putting on. Well, it's, a, it, it's, it's going to be amazing. We know that. We know you're the, the consummate professional, the showman who knows how to bring a show. I mean, 11 years in Vegas, that just says it all, to, to be able to go and do a show like that. And then, I mean, it must have been interesting having a, a base like that, yet be so different to being on the road now. And uh, which do you think you prefer? Um, I do love... I do love my, I did love doing the show in Vegas because people came to you. And also what I love is that people that are not Matt Goss fans would come and see you and they would come for a good night out. I did love that side of it, but I've missed, I've missed my country very much. And a lot of my big shows are, in, I've been in America over the last 20 plus years. Obviously I've done Wembley by myself. I've done the Albert Hall many times by myself and, and venues like that, but not not a tour across the whole country. It usually ends up in London when I come back home. And this is one of those tours that I wanted to honour my word. Fans have been giving me a hard time for a long time to to bring a show, but the reality is I'm the guy that can put on the show and rehearse and get the show ready, but there's a big machine of people around that take care of the tour and logistically to put on a tour across the whole country, 16 shows is an undertaking of a, of a proportion I have had in a long time. Even back in the day in Ross, I don't think we did 16, 16 towns. Um, but so, you know, but I, I either go, you know, go big or go home. This is certainly going to be huge. It is the Matt Goss experience, the big band and the Royal Philharmonic. It is arriving in Birmingham on Wednesday, the 5th of April, 2023, a half seven start and tickets are priced from £49 upwards. And you can nip along to bmusic.co.uk to get those tickets. But where else will we find you on the socials with the details of all the other gigs as well? You can go to mattgosstour.com. That's probably the, the easiest one to remember, just mattgosstour.com. It's just a... I hope you guys will come. I hope we can get a little bit boozy, have a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like, I like getting a little bit boozy. Jason knows that, don't you? Jason? She's a nightmare. But there we go. You, <laughs> we, we shall see how that works out. We'll stick the date in the diary as <laughs> thousands are going to for an amazing night. For now, Matt Goss, thank you for joining us. Much love to you and your listeners. Thank you. Thank you. It's very rare that I prep for an interview, especially when I'm talking to an improv group. I'm joined now by Improv Walls, who are at the Arena Theatre on the 3rd of March. That is the only thing set in stone, apart from the ticket price. To tell us more, I have Lawrence Saunders, Lee Goodall, and Robert Lane, not necessarily in that order. Hello, boys. Hello there. Hello. Hello. All right, who's going to be chief talking person? No, that's me. No, that's Rob. <laughs> Rob, Rob is. I'll start and then and someone can jump in when I run out of ideas. <laughs> okay, go for it. What's happening? Or what's not happening? Or what might happen? So the Improv Wolves will be at the Arena Theatre, as you've mentioned, on the 3rd of March. Improv Wolves is a fairly new uh, improv group featuring myself and Lee and Lawrence and Matt Dibbins. Um, and it's short form comedy improv. So if anybody remembers... Um, whose lines it anyway that's the kind of vein that we're doing so they're they're short scenes created on the spot from audience suggestions um loosely based around games some of the time but the main idea is that we're creating characters and sketches on stage 
influenced by whatever it is that the audience gives to us. So whatever takes their fancy is what you could end up doing. And I say could because there's always an opt-out clause that you can't quite read a bit of paper, can you? <laughs> that, uh, yeah, although I didn't quite catch that one. Sorry. <laughs> what was that you said? Yeah. Works every time. Uh, but uh, Lee, what, what's your part in this? Because you're very smartly dressed compared to the rest of the gang. Uh, my part is to hastily prepare for this, uh, having returned from work. Uh, but with it being an improv spirit, I've uh, prepared absolutely nothing. Uh, be, uh, besides saying, you should definitely come to it. Okay, that, that's a good start. So it, you're selling it there. You're so believable. I'm with you on that one. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence, um, yes. uh, nice range in uh, woolen wear there. Is, uh, what, what do you wear for improv? That's a question. Uh, well, that's a, that is a really good question. It depends on, on where we're doing it. Sometimes you, you might feel that you need to wear a suit of armour. I guess. It depends if on the order. A... This is the arena. Everyone's warm, fluffy and friendly there. Well, everyone is. So I might wear something warm, fluffy and friendly, a bit like the, maybe this jumper. Oh, you're wearing your furry a... suits. Well, well like, I've got a, yeah, well, I have got a uh, a monkey onesie. That um, that could do the job. Which I could wear. Yeah. But do you think I should? I th- I think I'd have it just in, in, in the dressing room, just in case somebody comes up with something that involves a monkey onesie. Onesie, yeah. That would be good. Okay, so the, the, the difficulty is whenever we're talking about one of these events, uh, we, we don't know what's going to happen. No. So uh, last time on Improv Wolves Performed, what happened there? Last time Improv Wolves Performed <laughs> over uh, for some of our friends in Birmingham at a thing called the Midlands Improv Night over at Thousand Trades at the Jury Quarter, which I'll also give a plug to. That group are doing a different show every week, by which I mean a different format every week. And it's it's a little bit of a community building there around improv in Birmingham. Um, great people performing, great nights happening. And that's something that we're kind of keen to try and do here in Wolverhampton, really, to be honest. As far as I know, there's not much of a, an established improv scene. Um, and it would be nice to start building one. So our last show was there. The first show that we did was a great night over at the Lighthouse, um, the cafe bar area there. That was the first time we'd performed as Improv Walls. We had an absolutely amazing night and thought maybe we'd found a home for ourselves there where we could build this little community. And then just some short weeks later, the place closed. And I don't think it was our fault, Jason. Those two things aren't linked. No, we're not going to hold you responsible for that. And the the arts in Wolverhampton needs you and it needs the lighthouse. So fingers crossed for the future there. Yeah, well, definitely fingers crossed because it's such a great, place isn't it mm-hmm. uh, uh you know there's the, the so much there was so much that was going on there and it was you know i think it was great for wolverhampton to have that have that place you know and there are lots of people who are doing stuff so i was at part of wolverhampton literature festival i went to watch the uh wolverhampton film festival showcase at the arena theater last mm-hmm. weekend um and there's just that was just a showcase of people making films either set in wolverhampton or based around wolverhampton or they're from wolverhampton and as with so many places, I'm sure, I know that Birmingham's the same and the West Midlands is the same all over. There are people doing amazing things. Mm. And we just need to have, as you have been doing, Jason, I know for so long on this podcast, sharing what people are doing and building a community around it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's part of what we're really interested in, yeah. as well as obviously having a laugh. And Because even when you get people like Lee who don't speak at all, pretty much, you know, it's all part of that one community, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well... You mentioned about it being different every night, but the audience are very different as well. The last thing we did, um, we dropped, you're in the middle of a scene and you think you're dropping a few things that should be like surefire hits because it's a joke that makes it quite contemporary reference or something. And you think, oh my God, there's an entire row there looking a little bit confused. And then you speak to them afterwards, like, oh, we had a great time. Like, where have you come from? And the last one, we had someone who came from Brazil, a person next to them were from Peru, then Argentina. And they were traveling across um, the UK and then to Europe. And of the few things they've chosen to do, it was to come and see an improv show. Yeah. And then, it was amazing, wasn't it? There's the, the Belgian couple as well, at the end of the row, and they were all on the on that row, weren't they, as well? It was amazing. And it was interesting. And I guess it depends on what the kind of uh, improv that's done. But I guess in our shows, apart from talking like we are doing now, mm-hmm. we're kind of uh, a bit physical as well. Uh, and I think that helped for... Uh, for those particular members of the audience where English wasn't the first, la- I mean, their English was better than mine anyway, and that's my first language. <laughs> you know, English was a second language for them. And um, because, and I guess because we're dealing with comedy as well, there's, there's something there that makes it um, accessible, uh, I, I think. Yeah, well, 
it sounds like they had a good night, whatever happened, even if they hadn't got a clue really what was going on. <laughs> um, but I think that's part of the magic of improv. You don't, you, you get drawn into it as well, don't you? Yeah. I, I think the, the audience are there with you. And improv nights are those things that you probably should never film, should not be released as a DVD box set later on because <laughs> it is about being part of the audience. And whose line is it anyway? I'm sure they used to probably record two to three hours to get yeah, a half yeah. hour episode. Yeah, and I think, Jason, what you're saying there about being part of the audience and, and being with it, I think that's one of the – that is definitely one of the beauties of it because you're actually there when um, something is being created. It's being made up on the spot in front of in front of your eyes. You may have had some input in you, if you're in the audience and you may have suggested something that sparked it. And actually, when you go to see uh, – we go and watch a film or see a TV show or you go to watch live music or live theatre – uh, stand-up comedy, whatever it is, very rarely do you get to see something that do you get to see the whole process from it being thought of, created mm-hmm. and worked on right in front of your eyes. And I think that's what improv does does well. Of course that means that it can go wrong, but it, it also means it can be you're part of a magic experience in a sense, because you're seeing it being created there and then right in front of you. So I think that's a good thing. And sometimes you get that with stand-ups. People like stand-ups when they riff with the audience. I know Lee used to do a lot of stand-up and you'd be really engaging with with the audience members there. And people get off on that because they feel that it's not going to be repeated because mm. it's special for them there mm-hmm. and then. And I think that's why people, you know, on a level why people en- enjoy it. And I, I, there's also all the TV shows we've got at the moment that are things like the Bake Off and uh, the Pottery Throwdown and stuff. They're not live, but you're actually watching someone go through a creative process, aren't you, from beginning to end in a sense, whether they're baking a cake or, you know, throwing a pot or whatever it, it is. And, <laughs> and, that, and people enjoy that. They also enjoy the bloke on the Pottery Throwdown crying, don't they, when someone's thrown a nice pot. I, I think that's special. That's part of the magical moment. It is. <laughs> None Let's of see us what... will cry on the night, hopefully. I mean, there's always a possibility. You never. Well, know. that would be um, that. We should make them cry. That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, the thing is with um, the fleeting nature that we've spoken about. Oh, we should have recorded that. You know, that would have been really cool. We put a YouTube channel, Instagram, put it on there. And you always think, well, those things exist in a bubble, and they might have been wonderful at the moment. But someone asks you, "Oh, did you have a good gig last night?" Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. This happened. This happened. And they can look at you like blankly. You know. Like there was one. Um, there was one gig we did where I ended up being um, Henry VIII, uh, being a, a, quite rudely accosted by his own horse, and um, those moments at that time, they're they're fleeting and brilliant. And then explain to somebody else makes it sound like you have some really quite difficult and unresolvable issues. And of course, <laughs> it's it's so obvious. Like in the show, it made perfect sense that Lee was yeah, Henry yeah. VIII and his horse mm. was doing whatever he was doing because that's where he'd been led to and gone. But for anybody who wasn't in the room at the time, it's quite why <laughs> what are you doing that? And it's true, Jason. Like, it's a notoriously difficult thing to to sort of film and capture. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a thought I was having only this afternoon because the venue that I was talking to was like, "Oh, great, we can't come and see your show. Can you send us some footage of you doing your thing?" And it's like. Maybe, <laughs> but I I don't know how it will come across. What What you need to do is you need to film the audience reaction. That's what you want, and that's what it's all about. And I'm sure they will be enthralled, amused, and trying to work out how if you can lead a horse to water, Henry VIII can turn up looking rather thin. So you know, there's 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 lots to go on there. Uh, tell us about the rest of the gang because there's more than just three of you turn up, isn't there? Improv Wolves has so far been the three of us plus Matt. Uh, Matt. Dibbins, and you've actually got um, some very experienced performers and improvisers here, actually, Jason, believe it or not. Lawrence is, is a very experienced actor. He's been on the telly and all sorts and, you know, radio and a lot of um, improv as well. Lee, as we mentioned, has done stand-up and me and Lee actually met at university in Wolverhampton where we did mm-hmm. sketch comedy and improv and different things. Matt, who's not with us today, is a very experienced improviser. Um, he was with Wow Impro. He was with The Intellectuals. Um, and I've done a, a little bit here and there as well. So you've actually got quite a <laughs> quite a range of um, experience and we all are musicians as well. So you, you may well have the dubious honour of being present for an improvised song on <laughs> for the first time in its debut on the 3rd of March. Um, and, and that's one of the fun things about it. Like the show could be anything. We mm. could film noir one moment. It could be a Western another moment. It could be the Bake Off by the sound of the way Lawrence is <laughs> taking things. I around. think, yeah, definitely. I think I'll bring some uh, flour. You need that, don't you, for baking? 
Flower and eggs. a monkey suit is the subtitle. The monkey show. What do you, it, do you know what? Improvisation is quite radical, right? This sounds this sounds crazy, but until 1968 in this country, um, anything that was put on in a theatre that was for public performance, every word spoken had to be uh, passed by the Lord Chamberlain, right? So, so to perform improvisation on stage in England pre 1968 um, was you could only be the Lord Chamberlain. <laughs> You, you had to be the Lord Chamberlain. That's right. You had to be the Lord Chamberlain to perform on stage. Um, so he's incredibly versatile. <laughs> all that stuff that he did. Um, but I, I find that that's bizarre, isn't it? You know, people would get around it by um, having performances for a private members club, whatever, that you'd set it up. But actually, um, it, yeah, so there's, the, the, there's quite radical roots for it, really. Um, so improv used to be illegal. Once. Improv used to be illegal, and we're here to prove it should be again. Yes, <laughs> yes. And given what Lee Anderson, who's now the deputy chair of the Conservative Party, isn't he? Um, he'd probably have us executed for <laughs> performing improv, wouldn't he, from what he was saying? You know, I don't think we'll have to do that live on stage, yes. whatever happens. Are. There's, there's still rules <laughs> against that. And, and it does depend on how the night goes. You, you, they may just throw the flower at you. We'll see. <laughs> 01902 321 is a box office number for the arena arena.wlv.ac.uk is their website go to those things click on them talk into them whatever you need to do to get your tickets it is the 3rd of march it is going to be as amazing as these things can be with the four people who are involved and they are blooming good so it'll be okay uh, improv wolves thank you three quarters of you for joining us thank you jason thanks jason <laughs> Real pleasure, thank you. As part of the literature festival that took place in Wolverhampton over the weekend, there was talk of rock and roll music. The man giving that talk was Paul Morris, who joins me now to tell me more. Hello, sir. Hello. Hi, Jason. Uh, obviously, this isn't your story. You were telling somebody else's tale. So explain a bit about what was going on and give us some of the background and, and share some of the wonderful stories. OK, um, the background to it is that um, I decided to write a book uh, two or three years ago um, called Chasing the Light Fantastic. And my first idea about that book was to write about the bands that I'd seen in the 1960s in the Wolverhampton area, the youth mm -hmm. clubs we used to go to. Um, and basically, it was just going to write. I was just going to write about the bands like the Montanas, the Californians, in betweens, and so on and so forth. But yeah. I realised somebody had already done it. <laughs> and the guy who had already done it was a guy called Keith Farley. Um, Keith had written this book called They Rocked, We Rolled, and that became the reference book to my book very much. I yeah. mean, he, he'd done it all. What was the point of me writing a similar book at all? Um, so I've got to know his book extremely well. Um, I've also got to know the guy who actually published the first edition of this book, a guy called Dave Camp, who was Keith's best friend from school. Yeah. And Dave published 200 copies back in 2010. Mm -hmm. By about two or three years after that, they'd all been sold. There wasn't one available for everybody. The people who were the movers and shakers of the music business in the 60s, 70s, they went out and bought it, the public bought it. There was nothing left. And you cannot find one these days on any of the second-hand online bookshops. Mm -hmm. you, know, you look for one, it isn't there. So at the end of the day, we thought there's a need for a second edition. So that's how we sort of went about getting a second edition printed. And this is you know, bringing to life so much of of that time. So you, you have your memories too. And with the, Keith, uh, I, I know that he did an Inside Tracks with Pete Whitehouse at WCRFM, and that has been repeated. Now, he sadly passed away shortly after that recording. So it's in the midst of this book really doing its thing that the, the author was sadly no longer with us and no longer able to tell his stories in words. But fortunately, you got all this on paper. He, he did. He, he got all this on paper. He's quite an author in his own right. He wrote a lot of books about Wolverhampton. He wrote about the cinemas called At the Flicks. And he wrote a book called The In-Between Times, which was the basis of this book, They Rocked, We Rolled. Mm -hmm. All those books were left to the uh, Wolverhampton Heritage Society. So they have the sort of books there. This new book, though, They Rocked, We Rolled, as you say, uh, was just printed literally months before Keith passed on, unfortunately, at the age of only 63. So um, that was 2010. Um, yeah, so 12 years on, 
here we are making sure that all this heritage and all this i you know the music is 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 it speaks for itself for the time but there's a lot of stuff in there which is all about keith's going to concerts going to places like the civic hall the Woolpack, all the pubs in the and clubs in the town the lafayette all those sort of places that he went to to see these bands it's his story. It's not mine. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to that story, though, I mean, you, you probably don't realise how much the Midland scene was as big as it was. I mean, uh, I'm thinking, are Yardbirds, are they Brummies? I, I, I'm not sure about the Yardbirds, but certainly the Birmingham scene and the Wolverhampton scene was very, very big. And, mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of these bands, what I liked about these bands, and I've met actually many of these um, band members now, is the fact that they worked so hard at the time a lot of them never recorded a great deal. And the reason behind that was they never had the time to go in the studio. They and, were too busy gigging. And they were kids as well. I mean, they were yeah. talking, they were, they were probably 14, 15, 16, rather than in the 20s. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they were out there doing this, heading out on the road. And public transport must have been a wonderful thing when you're carrying a drum kit. <laughs> well, one or two of them, I think, had guys who wrote, you know, sort of drove them around. Mm -hmm. in vans and that sort of thing there's a wonderful picture in Keith's book of Giorgio and Marco's men white van and <laughs> uh, that's that's one of the things again Keith interviewed uh oh I've I've got the cassettes of Keith interviews and there is about over 40 interviews with all many of these band members and also the managers and the people from the extra agency who were very instrumental in getting these guys out to all the clubs mm -hmm. uh, all these guys were interviewed by Keith and when you listen to those interviews, it's it's social history and it's intrinsic to Wolverhampton. Absolutely. And music is the heart of many a city. Wolverhampton is certainly one of them. Yeah. And I mean, I remember from my time really growing up in the in the 90s. I mean, I was born in 72, but it, it's when you, you hit 20. That's probably when your, your musical taste is formed. And it's when you finally got some cash to go to gigs. Yeah. And uh, I had a great time heading around Wolverhampton and the venues we had then uh, and, and the way things have changed now. Uh, it, it's 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 all been a, an aw awesomely vibrant city for music. And it plays host to people from all around the UK. And it, it's somewhere where people want to play because they know they're going to get a good audience. And that must have been what it was like for those bands from the 60s and onwards. Yeah, and again, some of the people that Keith interviewed and some of the quotes that are in the book are not just from the band members, the players and the managers, they're from the fans, mm -hmm. they're from the guys. I spoke recently on Saturday, uh, talk, we were talking to Danny Cannon, Danny Robinson from Danny Cannon, the Rab Rods, then became yeah. Herbie's People. And Danny was saying that they won the big beat contest at the Granada in the early 60s. And I asked him, how did you win it? He said, we brought the whole of Bilston with us. That's how we won it. <laughs> And and that was very much what they did. They had very good fan bases, local fan bases who loved the, these groups. And they all started out, though, by listening to the rock and roll that came in from America. It was Chuck Berry. It was Elvis. It was Joe Lee Lewis. It was those sort of guys who started it. But the local guy was Tommy Burton. And Tommy Burton was the guy who set out to say, if they can do it, we can do it. And his band, the Tommy Burton Combo, was very much based on Bill Haley. And what they did, rock around the clock, see you later, alligator, all that sort of stuff. And a lot of the guys, again, saw what they were doing. They'd heard people like Buddy Holly. They'd heard people, uh, they'd seen them on the TV in black and white, grainy black and white in the early 60s. Top of the pops and of that day. Well, it, probably, I think it was the, uh, I think the one they everybody remembers was the London Palladium show mm -hmm, with Buddy mm -hmm. Holly. Yeah. And everybody thought this guy was just magic. And he was. Yeah, everybody. And if you listen to early Danny Cannon stuff and Steve Brett and the Mavericks, you can hear a lot of the influences of those people in their early sort of stuff. And um, the music itself uh, survives to this day. Probably not necessarily the tapes, but actually some of the uh, uh, the, the, the seven inch singles are from that time. And yeah. digitized and shared all over the place these days. But it is a, it, it is a vibrant sound. And obviously, as I mentioned before, Keith was featured on Inside Tracks of Pete Whitehouse. That's available on the Listen Again at WCRFM.com. Uh, just look for the 4th of, uh, of February. And it's uh, it's on your Sunday evening slot. Just look for that. And you can hear his voice as you've been able to listen to it on the tapes of the interviews that you had. But the important thing is as well, this book and getting a copy of, of, of what is now a second edition and a second edition yeah. with extra colour. It is with extra colour. Uh, we've got a, lo a local friend of mine to do the art form. Uh, a lot of comments were made actually on Saturday about how, how good the cover is. And uh, there aren't many changes to the book. We've kept it as good as the first edition. There's 
Uh, some of the bits and pieces of the editing have been done to cut out where there's some duplication. But what we've added is a list of all the records that were produced by the bands between the early 60s and the early 70s. Mm -hmm. And then also we've, we've put a, an index to where you can find these bands because that wasn't there in the first edition. So it's easy. If you want to know about the Montanas, you know which page to look at. If you want to know about Herbie's people, you know where to go. So give us all of the details on the book. Obviously, this is the second edition, but uh, say it's 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 everything you'd hope for and more now, isn't it? I would hope so. Yeah, they rocked weird rolled. It's available from Amazon, from Waterstones, but uh, I'd like you to support Waterstones in Wolverhampton because I'd like to keep it local if we can. Mm -hmm. And um, you know they're great. They're great support. Waters actually mark there and the guys at Wallstone. So that's where you can get it. But you can get it online at uh, Amazon as well. And um, yeah, I mean, we priced it to, to suit people 15 quid, 14.99 to you. That's excellent value for money and a piece of history. And I think you yeah. know, this is going to sell out and they're going to be you know, sought after again. Right. I think that is going to be the case. But, uh, congratulations on the work that you've done bringing this to life and uh, keeping Keith's legacy alive too. Paul Morris, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jason. There's a new person in a key position at Compton Care. He's an Associate Director of Nursing. To tell us more, I'm joined now by that very person, Jenny Warren. Good afternoon. Hi, hi, Jason. How are you? I'm good, and I hope we find you well and enjoying your new life in this role at Compton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really busy at the minute. Got lots of great plans, um, uh, but very much enjoying it. Absolutely. Now, we all know that Compton has got the hospice side where it looks after people who may be in palliative or end of life care. But there's also the outreach to the community. And Compton is always about allowing people to live their best life possible. And really, that's uh, vitally important uh, that they're getting the, the, the kind of nursing care they need for that. And that's where you and your team come in. We do indeed, yeah. It's it's very much um, about outreaching to the community and reflecting what our local community need. Um, we've got many new services here at Compton Care, so as well as our inpatient unit that people will be really familiar with, we've got a, quite a large community service, uh, our Living Well Centre. So this is where you know where people can come and, and live their best life, really, um, regardless of, of their diagnosis. Um, so. Uh, a, it's, it's really quite um, a, a lot bigger than people think, I think, is probably the best way to describe Compton. Um, we, we've definitely grown and our services have, 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 um, have, have been a lot more inclusive um, than they have been in the past. Yeah, and I'd say it's always been a brilliant service and it just gets better and better. And it's obviously the, the funding that, that comes in, the people who care about Compton that makes a difference. And anybody whose life has been touched by Compton Care, whether it be directly or through their family, are always more than willing to offer some sort of support, support in any way they can. Absolutely. You know, we were so lucky. We are so well supported um, by Wolverhampton and surrounding. We've got so many wonderful people who support us um, with donations, with visiting our shops and, you know, just being part of, of the team here. We've got volunteers and it's really lovely to feel so, um, so, so loved by the people of, of Wolverhampton and surround. Um, and so it's really, I'm really proud to work at Compton Care. So, um, and, and, you know, and I'm right. How did you first come to the, the the idea of working at Compton, though? Uh, we, we, did they contact you, or, we, or was it an advert that you saw? How did it all come about? Um, so I, I'd worked, I've worked in Wolverhampton for all of my nursing career. So I came to Wolverhampton as an, uh, a newly qualified baby nurse and worked as a district nurse for about 15 years in Wolverhampton. So I'm absolutely Wolverhampton through and through, um, uh, all over the city. And I... Uh, did I, what I is I completed a prescribing course, a non-medical prescribing, so a nurse prescribing course, and I wanted to use it. I progressed within community nursing and uh, I really was quite passionate about palliative and end-of-life care, having done it for so long as a district nurse. So I came and applied for a clinical nurse specialist job here at Compton. Um, so that, I joined the team about five years ago here at Compton as a nurse. So I was out delivering care in the community as one of our community teams. And then the, I was really well supported in my career progression. And, and actually, I really enjoyed being able to influence and make a difference to these patients, um, making sure that more people can access their services, that we were reaching out there to the people of Wolverhampton. And so I progressed into a couple of other um, leadership and management jobs to the point where I am now. Mm -hmm. And every time, you know, there's been a, you know, that next little step up and that ability to make a difference. And I say, 
Compton makes such a difference and whether it's uh, some of the uh, the uh, community nurses who go out there uh, the the daycare that people receive or the respite care that allows someone's uh, family to take a little bit of a break yet know their loved one is being looked after the way they need to for their just day to day yeah, maintenance and, and, and what gets them through life. It is all part I suppose of, of the remit. You, you, your role will touch on all of this somewhere. It does you know that I know that there are lots of people out there looking after their loved ones and without the, the carers, loved ones and families of, of these patients, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And so a part of our job is to make sure that they feel supported as well, um, to keep their, their loved one where they want to be, whether that, that be at home or um, or whether they're in a care home even. We have a, a specific team, for example, that goes into care homes in Wolverhampton. Um, so the, the, the people that are living in those care homes, the, the patients that live in that care home can stay there, but are also well supported and are still accessing the same level of care if, as if they're in their own home. Um, so yeah, definitely supporting the, the loved ones is and, important. And what of the services that Compton Care offer at the moment would people not know about, do you think? What, what is it that uh, is a surprise when people discover it's being done, but actually no surprise because it's really part of Compton Care's whole ethos? Uh, so I suppose some of the really um, sort of big areas of focus, particularly over the last few years, have been a living well service. So we have got a far more um, st- structured, lots of different short groups, very much a social element. Um, so people come in, they might join a music therapy group, they might join just a social group, it could be a horticulture group. So we offer a, a variety of activities through Living Well. Um, and people just come in, um, meet other people, spend some time with them and then come away um, and continue to live their life. We've got um, complementary therapies. That's, that's something I'm really working hard on with the team at the moment we are um, able to offer complementary therapies to our patients and that's making a massive difference to their symptom management um, so if you think you're you've got pain for example and you might be taking medication for that pain but, but we can make that work even better by offering holistic and complementary therapies uh, the care home team that's a relatively new um, team of, of clinical nurse specialists going out into the care homes, supporting the care home staff. Um, so there's an element of education and um, there's an element of uh, making sure that the care homes are supported, you know, supporting the staff in there. They do a fantastic job. Um, we've got a community engagement team. That's really exciting. So we've got a number of bereavement hubs within the city, which people probably aren't aware of, that are open to the public, not just people that have, have had um, support off Compton Care um, to access our services is through our care coordination line now so it's a one stop self referral so people can refer themselves in you just ring the number to care coordination and you'll get directed to the most appropriate person whatever your needs are um, and that's available on their website as well so you know all of their services are listed on there and if you're not sure and you just think you need help you can ring through to care coordination and they will point you in the right direction get you to the right person and I think, yeah, and with the call centre that's opened in the last few years, I mean, this has all been part of the expansion. Mm-hmm. But what comes next? What are the next areas that Compton are working on bringing to add to their yeah, vast array of services already? I suppose the current focus is is looking at a bereavement support. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at expanding that a little bit um, and looking at making sure that we're getting everybody who we're not currently getting. So a big part of what we're going to do is is reducing the inequalities in access to palliative and end-of-life care. So there's a lot of people within the city that don't know we exist or don't feel that, that they can access us. And there's lots of different reasons for that. But one of the big things is that people don't realise that we're free. So the services that we offer here are absolutely free. We don't charge anything. So there's a big community engagement um element to that we've got a number of public engagement sessions in the next few weeks coming up where people can come just have a chat to us about about what we offer here um so the also the supportive care element is another area i'm focusing on so think about um counseling services and um that emotional support um well-being is a really big thing at the moment um so yeah it's um it's about making sure that we can provide everything that people need to live as well as they can for as, as long as they've got and then when the time comes, support them at the end.
And of course, the ongoing support doesn't end there as well. You mentioned the uh, the grief uh, counselling and, and and being there, and you've got a team who understand what everyone has been going through, and they do an amazing job. And even through things like the annual memory walk, uh, which allows people to come together and remember their loved ones in a positive way by raising funds for Compton that will have helped their family during the most difficult and worst times of their lives. And you've got a huge amount of support there. But it's it's, it's things like the lymphoma edema care as well that you know that sort of thing really makes a huge difference to someone's life being able to get some sort of treatment when there isn't really any other option other than coming to Compton Care to try and get some sort of respite from it. Absolutely yeah you know we, one of the things we have to acknowledge the NHS is, is under considerable pressure at the moment and there are gaps there that we can fill and things like the lymphedema service we are able to offer those things that people are not going to be able to get elsewhere and I think you made a really good point the the the, the, um, the relationship with Compton doesn't end when somebody's loved one has passed away. We do have life and life, we have memory walks, we have um, the bereavement support, and actually the doors, they're always open. It's always left open for people. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I think yeah, we, we do have a, a responsibility to make sure that, that the really very generous support that we get is used to meet the needs of the people locally. Well, Compton is an amazing organisation doing so much good for our community and it's sort of the community helping to serve that through the fundraising that takes place. It would not be there without the private funding that comes in from people across our area. Comptoncare.org.uk to see what is on offer, to look for help or to see how you can help. And there's all sorts of fundraising, there's the lottery. And if you see an event that's supporting Compton, do go along and support it. So I'm looking forward to being part of that memory walk again this year. I was invited along after I did the announcing and stuff for the last one, so I uh, should be uh, down there for that. And of course, we've got the round the Reekin coming up in the not too distant future as well, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, these these big events for us every year. They, you know, they they are. It's a great time to get everybody together. Um, uh, and and often people that that have had that relationship with us, but it's great to see new people as well. So yeah, if you feel like you want to get in, get involved, absolutely do. You know, join one of our fundraising events or one of our other engagement events. If you want to get involved at Compton Care, whatever it looks like, and you know, contact us because there'll be something that we can do, whether it be volunteering, whether it be, you know, um, part of an event or um, or just that your opinions, because that's really important to us. One thing I really, we really want to, hear what people in Wolverhampton think we can do to improve and what we have, what we can do better and what we need to, to do to meet um to meet their needs because we, we we really want that engagement we want to hear from you where we where you think we need to go next. Um so yeah absolutely would love to hear from anybody, you know. Um it's important that people come and see what we do here. And um that's the first part of the conversation around death and dying and you know all these things that are really can be quite scary but it's really not that scary. It's really quite a lovely place and lovely organisation to be part part of absolutely making such a difference and allowing as we've said those who need the help to be able to live their best life possible new associate director of nursing at compton care jenny yeah. warren thank you for joining us thank you so much take care Wolverhampton DAB Limited have been successful in their bid to get the multiplex license for Wolverhampton. A lot of those words may not mean a massive amount to you, but we will now explain more. Because the company uh, that we are talking about here is part owned by the group behind WCRFM, and Chris Allen, our chair, is here to tell us what's going on. Hello, sir. Hello there. How are you doing? Oh, good. And uh, first of all, congratulations are in order for all the hard work you, the rest of the board, and everyone else involved have done on this so far. Well, I think what we did was we chose the right people to work with. That was the important thing. And a lot of the bit that went in is technical. As you know, I'm great on technology. So <laughs> we rely on lots of other people to help us put that bit in. But we we partnered up uh, with a couple of guys, David Duffy and Chris Hurst, who've got experience from working around the country. And uh, they led on the bid. And we know we backed the right people now. Absolutely. And obviously... Ofcom always like to look to these stations at the heart of the community and when these uh, these small scale multiplexes are coming out and that basically just means a lot of radio stations in one place on the digital platform and, and that's the way digital radio works is you can put lots of things in the same place the same way with digital telly and of course digital phones it makes the the bandwidth we have so much more capable of carrying some amazing stuff. And you see, you're talking a language now that, you know, it, it's beyond me as well. So the way it was explained to me when I needed explaining was that what we've won actually is a rope. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, so now we have the right of the rope and the rope is made of lots of different strands and those little strands can be all our partners doing their own thing around the city. Yeah, and yeah, as part of that, there are some uh, amazing people we get to work with. Obviously, at the heart of it is 101.8 WCRFM, which will also be going out on DAB Digital Radio as well. And that is going to be... you. Know, an easier way for people if you're in the car and you and you and you got a digital radio in your car no longer will you get confused on what you're tuning to because you'll be able to see our name and logo all on screen you can do yeah it'd be a lot easier for people as well obviously at the moment we're on 101.8 fm which is important the fm has been really important especially uh during the covid crisis uh, and public health wanted to put information out via a non-digital platform, so we will retain the FM service around the city. You can listen online, you can listen via your smart speaker. So DAB will add a new dimension to people listening to Wolverhampton's local radio station. Yeah, it is all about that convenience because they say it's particularly car drivers, isn't it, these days? Or somebody's got a radio pop somewhere in the house and you're getting that crystal clear digital sound. And I, th I think that that it's, it's just having that as a, as a multi-platform uh, way of getting what we do. And I mean, Wolverhampton really gets what we do because we are all about the city. We are, and, and and we're very excited. You know, I was put on Facebook and I was buzzing, you know, and it's one of those moments where, where I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of an analogy and I'm not a Wolves fan, but I was really glad of the, the result they got last weekend. It's a bit like we knew we had the best at a bid and we knew that we were going to win this uh, but you're in two nil up it's when the third goal goes in you think yes we've got it and today was like the kind of third goal day yeah and uh i mean the the opposition uh with wolfram limited uh obviously they have got a product which they believe in as well and it's all about having the right thing on air it is uh, and as as you said you know we, we're sort of at the heart of the city we are the number one station for the city in terms of the information that we give out recently moved to the Manda Centre and anybody coming to the Manda Centre now seeing our posh new signs around the place we're very much at the heart of the city and therefore we felt that we were the the right station we also had many more partners signed up to us in our bid than the competition uh, and so again we felt we were very strong uh, and we signed up with you know you know ramadan radio one of our partners worked with yusuf shafi on there often have a guest on the on the station as well so we've got some very natural relationships behind all the kind of technical aspects of this and also the different financial partnerships that we have there as well uh, and it'll work really well yeah, and again, it's it's about giving uh, something to the community, and us being at the heart of it as well means that we we know that those people who are going on air with us have have also got the the community spirit at heart. They have, and and they've got the opportunity to expand at what they do, and obviously to new listeners as well. And we're not in competition uh, with them. We're just we're not a commercial radio station. We are all around about the Wolverhampton community. We're serving the community of Wolverhampton, those who live and work in the city. So it's not competitive. We all have our own different strands. People can choose where they listen to, but we're at the centre of that. And it may be that if if a station is not broadcasting twenty four hours a day as we do, they can switch us through. You know, for the time that they're not on there as well it might also mean that small community groups might want to buy an a yeah we could do say we did an hour a day but the rest of the time we'll have wcr fm going through there there's lots of opportunities for growth uh, across the city and, and i'm looking forward to working with all these different partners absolutely and so it is part of those things that we do you hear that on air with us already and there's just going to be extra stuff that you can get and and and, and dip into and then come back to either you know fm or dab but no, it's all part of a, a big umbrella that is our city. It is. And we've got a wonderfully diverse city and therefore people will have very diverse ways of listening, different languages across the city as well. We never have the expectation everybody's just going to listen to us. And therefore we want to facilitate people listening to other stations as well. We try to be as inclusive as we possibly can be. There's lots of specialist stations out there as well that we can partner. So we'll very much support them and, and work together. So this is a big win for all people across the city and whichever radio station they listen to uh, from the locality. Well, you say we are all about Wolverhampton, number one for Wolverhampton. It's 101.8 WCRFM, as we say, soon to be on DAB Digital Radio as well. And it always seems a bit weird because it's, it's DAB's Digital Audio Broadcasting and then to say Digital Radio on the end as well, just so you know what it is. They didn't <laughs> do brilliantly well when they came up with the acronym, did they? <laughs> They didn't really. And I think, you know, we're still going to be 101.8 WCRFM, but we're available on DAB. That will be probably the way that people will just begin to learn uh, that we're out there as well. And what we are going to do as well, uh, it's just a little competitive edge. And uh, it's probably wrong to set this up at the beginning in case we fail. Uh, but the record 
uh, from going, getting the announcement, which is today, to being on air is 72 days. And we think that because of the partnerships we already have around the city, we might beat that. So we're going to go for it. Fingers crossed. Record breakers. That's what we want to be. Uh, there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it though. Chris Allen, chair of 101.8 WCRFM, WCRT, and the, the, the now part of Wolverhampton DAB Limited. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jason. That's your lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Back with episode 713 next week. I'll see you then. So for now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.